You're listening to the Broadway Podcast Network. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Dear Multi-Hyphenate. I'm your host, Michael Kushner. Thank you so much for joining me today, and thank you to Broadway Podcast Network. Thanks to Alan, Dory, and the incredible team at BPN. Uh, Thank you so much for bringing me to my listeners. I hope you're enjoying your week so far. I'm recording this on Sunday morning. I try to keep the intros as relevant as possible to when the episodes are released, um, just so that my podcast is extra relevant and extra helpful to whatever is going on in an artist's and human being's life. Um, you know, I gotta say, this episode is probably one of my favorites. Um, not only is it touching and special because of first-hand experiences, but... You know, we recorded this before um, the uh, the centering of anti-Semitism in conversation. Um, Jewish people, Jewish artists have been feeling anti-Semitism for a very long time now. And now, since I've been diving more into what anti-Semitism actually is, um, I've been experiencing it my whole life. And while it's not like malicious or mean most of the time it's still like hurtful um you know uh being the butt of the joke or um noticing people's impressions of jewish people are usually um you know uh <laughs> nebishi or um yentas or you know i've i've also been loving listening to the sarah silverman podcast and um she said she gets her news from twitter but i i've been getting my news from her um and you know i agree with so many of the things that she says um but ari and i had our own conversation about jewish representation in the world and in the industry and i really hope you get something out of it um so before we get into that, you know, I do just want to say, please follow on Instagram at the Michael Kushner or at your multi hyphenate. And please on Apple podcasts, rate, subscribe, leave a review. That's really, really important. So if you want to do a little mitzvah, 
Speaking of Judaism, huh? If you want to do a little mitzvah for me, little old Michael Kushner, who's given you 74 episodes of Dear Multi-Hyphenate, but who's counting, maybe you could leave a review. I'm just kidding. That's sort of feeding into the stereotype of Jewish people. Forgive me. So I am starting a, a, a question and answer portion of the podcast where people on Instagram ask me a question and I answer it on air with you. And this is from Not Chris Frazier on Instagram. They sent me this uh, question through Instagram, so feel free to email me at dearmultihyphenate at gmail.com or message me on Instagram with a question. And Chris Frazier says, asks, is there a priority list to one's multi-hyphenate, or should it be good at all equally? And I think that this is an incredible question. And I'll tell you why. Because it's in my book, How to Be a Multi-Hyphenate in the Theater Industry, Conversations, Advice, and Tips from Dear Multi-Hyphenate, which is published by Rutledge Publishing and is now available for pre-order on Amazon and the Rutledge website. Um, so there's something that I call the dominant proficiency. That it's, it's the dominant proficiency that sort of allows you to unlock the connectivity to the other hyphens because I always say that there should be four things that go into a multi-hyphenate identity it has to bring you joy you have to get an income from it there has to be a paper trail so if I like google you or go on your social media I have to see that you're doing this proficiency and the fourth one is I think the most important one and that's it connects to the other hyphens so my photography allows my performance to exist and my podcast allows me to uh, write the books which then in turn allows me to um, get more clients and you know it all has to there has to be a way for each hyphen to touch each other so um, yeah there has to be a dominant proficiency that allows you to take risks like when I produced Indoor Boys right I was able to put money into it and I was able to devote time to it because of my photography my photography supported my endeavors and you're probably wondering well you put money into it what was your income when it comes to Indoor Boys if it wasn't financial didn't you just say that there has to be an income if you're going to include something in your hyphens and the thing is is I you can justify income as anything it could be building an ensemble it could be a resume builder as long as you're receiving something some sort of a payment some sort of a due then you could justify that again multi-hyphenating is art so justify it as long as you want these are my guidelines and the guidelines that i'm sharing with you and hopefully you'll be inspired by them and change your life change your artistry change your life so yeah i don't think that there should be a, like a priority list as in like there has to be like a hyphen that comes last, but I think there's one that helps the others survive, especially when starting, and then they all sort of equally support each other. I hope that helped. All right, let's get into the episode. I'm so excited to share this with you. It's a longer episode, but it's worth it. We talk about the, you know, the power that Cabaret has, also the, the, secret like real actual good things to think about when building your cabaret that i don't think many people think about 
Um, we talk about what multi-hyphenating is today, and of course we talk about Jewish representation, so let's get into it. Ari is an actor, director, singer, and Jewish activist. He recently received the 2022 Bistro Award for theatrical performance and song for his show Ari's Arias. His award-winning show, A Place for Us, a celebration of Jewish Broadway, began with a sold-out run at the historic Birdland Jazz Club featuring six-time Emmy and Tony nominee Tova Feldshu, and has since grown to international acclaim performing to sold-out audiences around the world. In 2020, he received a Mac Award nomination for Best Male Vocalist and won the Broadway World Award for Best Live Zoom Performance. Ari Axelrod's first solo show, Taking the Wheel, directed by Tony Award winner Faith Prince and music directed by multiple Mac Award winner Alex Rybeck, has been performed in numerous cities around the country. Ari's work as a director has been seen at the Tony Award winning Paper Mill Playhouse, Birdland Jazz Club, 54 Below, and others. Ari is a recipient of the Jewish Week's prestigious 36 Under 36 Award, which honors 36 noteworthy Jewish leaders, all 36 years old or younger, who make New York and its many Jewish communities better. These entrepreneurs, young leaders, and changemakers bring remarkable energy and new ideas to religion, philanthropy, the arts, Jewish learning, campus life, social action, inclusion, and justice. Also, if you want to see Ari in action, his album release concert is Monday, November 28th at 7 p.m. at Chelsea Table and Stage. And his album, Ari Axelrod, Live at Birdland, is available for pre-order on November 1st. It goes on sale on Friday, November 25th. Hope you enjoy the episode. I have a bone to pick with you. I didn't do it. Unfortunately, you did. I have never ever in my life been so moved by a single cabaret performance. Well, thank you. I, for the opening, everything was beautiful from the moment like you like, you are, you walk through the audience and you're greeting the audience, you know, you shook my hand and you thanked me for being there. You did the wonderful thing of bringing the audience into you, but then you get on stage and you do an opening number. That's like immediately like brings us in. And then you do bring them home in Hebrew. And when I tell you it was Hebrew, right? It wasn't Yiddish. It was Hebrew. Mm -hmm. Because I was like, that's a language I don't know. If it was Yiddish, I'd, you know, because um, I don't know Hebrew. I'm a Jew who doesn't know Hebrew. Um, the second you, because I was like, oh my God, I love the song, can't wait. The second you opened your mouth and started singing Hebrew, it was this visceral reaction I have only had in some of my favorite shows, mm. uh, some of my favorite theatrical experiences. It was this wave of emotion and it was this like, uncontrollable like vomit out of my eyes it you are a master at the art of cabaret and concert you Thanks, are thank you from the from that second i could not stop crying the rest of the show every single song you did was literally some of my favorite songs of all time mm. you made me hear lyrics i've never heard before you've made me understand the songs i've never heard before it was I woke up thinking about it. it was one of the best moments I've ever had as an audience member. And it was so incredible. How do you feel about that? <laughs> How do you feel about last night? 
first of all, let me just say thank you for that. I mean, I admire you and have looked up to you for years and years and years. Um, so to have you there was so meaningful to me to like look out and know that we both share this deep love that borders on obsession with yeah. lame is to know yeah. that you were right there as I was singing, bring him home. And to know that we experience our Jewish identities in a very similar way mm. to know that you were there was such a gift and to hear from you how much it resonated with you. It, it, I'm very rarely speechless, speechless but it, it, it leaves me speechless. I, I really am just so grateful that you were there and thank you for saying all of that. I, how do I feel about last night? I feel, I feel good. I'm, I'm both on cloud nine and so exhausted, yeah. I'm so tired. Um, but I, I, you know, I, I have two shows that I've really kind of been doing for the last few years, the Jewish Broadway show, and then this one. And Jewish Broadway is me telling other people's stories, but they're stories that I am passionate about. The show you saw last night is my story. Mm -hmm. And it, it is so moving to be able to tell my truth mm -hmm. and know that it unlocks something in others. Mm -hmm. And so anytime I've done this show, to see that happen in the eyes and the hearts of the audience is the greatest gift that I can experience as a storyteller. And so I'm, I'm still kind of like processing that. And, and also, I mean, there were people in that audience, yourself included, that like, like I said, I've, I've looked up to for years. And so to be able to give back a fraction of the gift that they have given to me, that, that made last night really special. And then to know that because we were recording a live album, that that is kind of enshrined, mm -hmm. that, that, that will always be there, that that kind of returning the favor, mm -hmm. um, that was really important. You made me, you made, I went to bed thinking I was in love with you. I genuinely was like- <laughs> You told I, me. <laughs> I was like, am I in love with Ari Axelrod? I literally was like, I think I have to, I have to have a talk with my fiance. I genuinely was like, I was so confused. I was like, uh, I was like, I, I fell in love with you. I was like, I was like, that is the power that that has that cabaret and concert has is that's what it's made to be is to fall in love with someone to understand them so deeply through a set of songs and perspective. And it's yeah. like, I, I, I definitely understand when people take the stage to create a cabaret and concert to they everyone has their own uh has their own um agenda when it comes to cabaret and concert it's a really great way to get people invited uh, industry yeah. professionals but 
really what it is is a way to connect and I build a I, I do a, a, a cabaret concert sort of not building workshop with Florida State Thespians but basically we talk about what the importance of cabaret and concert is and yeah. what the purposes are and you know, I showed some really specific videos from different spots all over the city as to like what what makes that successful. And one of my favorites was at Birdland was when Liza did, um, I think the last time she was at um, Cast Party, Jim Cruz's mm-hmm. Cast Party. And she yeah. says, you know, she's standing on stage, she's telling a story and in the middle of the story, she goes, can, can I get the lights lower? <laughs> and then she says to an audience member, can I get can I get a glass of water? She stops. She breaks the fourth wall. She invites you in. That's what cabaret, it should be perfectly imperfect. Mm-hmm. And you did songs that if anyone was hiring me to do a, to help them build a cabaret concert, I would say never sing these songs because they're in the musical theater canon and we've seen them done a million times over. You made those songs so effortlessly you where it proves that you can sing any song you want in a cabaret and concert, but it has to have such a specific perspective and meaning when you sing it. Because when I tell you how many times have I heard how glory goes, how many times have I heard songs from West Side Story? How many, how many times have I heard those songs, but I have never heard them done in the way that you did last night. And I'm forever grateful because it was like the most, and basically this podcast is just going to be me talking about how amazing your podcast, uh, your, your show was, but truthfully, it was a lesson in how to build a cabaret and concert. Right. So well, my, thank you. of course. So my question is, how do you build a cabaret? And concert? <laughs> well, Great question. And again, I've, I've, I'm just going to keep saying thank you. This entire podcast episode, but I, I really, the thank you is genuine. Um, to go back to singing songs that, you know, don't sing these songs. I want to teach a class where every single person sings the same song. <laughs> because the, the, I define cabaret. This is a, a Dick Gallagher who's a yeah. cabaret musical director, director what, did, what uh, did he review yes of course yes so his definition of cabaret which is how i define cabaret is the art of being yourself on purpose and if you take that and sprinkle that into every single song that you sing if you have a room of 10 people who are all singing somewhere over the rainbow as themselves on purpose they're placed beyond the rainbow are 10 different places. Mm -hmm. They're not singing as Dorothy. They're not singing as anyone but themselves on purpose and with purpose. So therefore, if you are aware of who you are, what you have to say and why you are saying it, you can sing any song you want as long as that purpose is rooted in every lyric that you sing and it is generous. It is a gift to the audience. So... I mean, if somebody else were to sing How Glory Goes, it probably wouldn't be about being 21 and about to have brain surgery and wondering what heaven's like. And that's beautiful, but I'm curious to know what their version is. So 
That's that's the first thing. I I think that every single song is up for grabs if you want to sing it and you have the if if you can defend your reasoning for singing it because you connect to it so well. And then the beautiful thing is that you can create a musical arrangement. So mm-hmm. you know, I we took um uh that's a song that we took and did arrangement of. Um, West Side Story. Um, cool. Cool. Right. So I play the conquer, right? And right. It was amazing. I was like, what is he doing? It was <laughs> You'd never seen me play drums before. No. <laughs> yeah. Actually, and... I. No, I, go. I, I played drums long before I ever sang. I started taking drum lessons in kindergarten. And uh, my brother is. Uh, what was an actor and singer and dancer. And whether this was true or not at the time, my perception was he's getting all of the attention. Uh, Fuck that, I want the attention. And, you know, it was, that's how it started. But I, I love that I'm, because it's the art of being yourself on purpose, I'm a drummer. And so I'm, I'm allowed to incorporate that into my act. So, you're allowed to incorporate whatever you want in your act. Right, right, and, right. And that's what I think people don't understand about cabaret and concert. You could do whatever you want on that stage. You could sing any song in any style, in any key, while you're painting a portrait with your left foot and you're <laughs> playing the castanetas with your, you know, armpit. Like it's like you could right. do you could do all of that. And what I loved about your show as well, and this is a lesson of simplicity is that you had a piano with you. You didn't have drums, you didn't have a horn, you didn't have a string, you had a piano with you. And it didn't matter. I think so many cabaret art, so many aspiring cabaret artists think that they need to put hundreds of dollars, thousands of dollars into a band with them. And that Mm. might be the vibe of your show. And that is cool, but it doesn't have to be. Correct. I think it's really easy to hide behind a band. I think if the if the show that you're doing lends itself to that musical vocabulary, by all means, use a band. As long as you are still, even if even if it calls for using a band, if, still don't hide behind it. But I think, I think, and I. Marilyn May disagrees with me. She told her I was recording a live album and she was like, who's in your band? And I said, it's just the piano. And she said, well, are you going to have a, are you going to have a bass player? And I said, no, I don't think so. And she said, well, having a bass player will free up the pianist. It's like, that is so helpful. Um, We'll know that for the next time. But when you have somebody like Larry Yerman at the piano who can make a piano sound like a 50 piece orchestra, I personally, and I was up there. Maybe it's different in the audience. I didn't miss any other piece. I just got the chills, Ari. I didn't need it either. It was so wild. I, I don't know the last time that I've... I, I, I know that you don't need a band in a cabaret, but I also have maybe seen it... I, I can't even tell you the last time I saw it where right. it worked, but I know you don't need a band and your mm-hmm. show proved that. It just... Or anyone listening that is thinking of building a cabaret or concert, it's 
it's you as long as your story is so specific because you had it was a mini play it was a mini musical and the through the through line was so it all flowed so perfectly the book into the lyrics everything was amazing um you don't need you don't sit there going oh i could use a drum here because you don't let as the performer you didn't let our minds have one chance to wander you grabbed us by the fucking balls and whatever we have and you didn't let go and it was absolutely glorious well thank you i i you know one of the things that i I have a lot of pet peeves when it comes to cabaret and you know I, I i have i have qualms with just the word cabaret to mm-hmm. begin with i think that there are a lot of stigmas around what cabaret is and and, and in reality those stigmas are rooted in truth and reality um so one of my biggest pet peeves is when songs are set up in this fashion this next song yeah blah, 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 because then as an audience I'm only hearing it as the song and not as a fraction or, or, or um, a snippet of your life. Mm-hmm. So I sing not while I'm around as my dog Leo and then <laughs> to my dog Leo, right? <laughs> so, Sobbed. so I just as easily could have said, you know, whenever I hear this next song by Stephen Sondheim, I think about my dog Leo. Great. I'm like, that's like taking a picture off of a wall at a gallery and saying, let's look at the picture together. Great. I'm going to put the picture back up. But when you set it up as I've had my dog Leo for four years, and in those four years, we've never had a conversation. We communicate, but we've never talked to each other. Right. And I often wonder if you could talk, what would he say? Well, I think he'd say something like this. Nothing's going to harm you not while I'm around. It's a way of tying the the line of patter into the first lyric of the song so that from the moment you start your show with the first lyric you sing to the last lyric you sing and every internal lyric and every line of patter it is one consistent thought you also chose the right song because 99% of those people in that audience know that first lyric to that very famous song. So we have the image of you and your dog and your relationship. And then we hear nothing's going to harm you. And we immediately, that, that hits us like a ton of bricks. So you don't give us the chance. There's no, I believe you went it right from the dialogue into the lyric because that doesn't give us a chance to go, oh, what song is this going to be? Or what are these lyrics? No, you chose a very familiar song that perfectly ties into what you're talking about and you didn't give us a chance to breathe, which makes us go, uh. (laughs) Well, and, 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 you know, Larry had every single cue line is. Yes specific to a T so that we know, like um, when I said uh, Lorenz Hart lived his life as a deeply closeted gay man. Yeah. That's the cue line for legend has it. Mm -hmm. And then Larry starts playing. So he's beginning to musicalize Mm -hmm. the legend that has been told and retold, retold. And then the song is an exploration of, you know what, but, but rather than, you know, 
That's a great opportunity to say this next song because I am setting up the song. I'm saying I want the audience to hear my funny Valentine, mm -hmm. but to hear it in this way as Lorenz Hart writing the lyrics. But if I wanted to set it up in a way that I don't want you to hear it as my funny Valentine, I want you to hear it as a moment of pain and struggle in Ari's life, I would set it up differently. But every time that I've, that I've gone to things that people call cabarets, every song is set up as this next song, or when I hear this next song, it's like, I don't wanna hear them as songs. I want to hear them as moments in your life or thoughts that you've had, or I want to hear the lyrics as you. I don't want to hear it as the song because then I'll tune out. And it's the difference between being a tour guide and a travel agent. A tour guide says, let me show you all of the things. Let me facilitate your journey. Mm -hmm. The travel agent says, where do you want to go? Mm -hmm. I will, I will help you to go wherever you need to go. Or the difference between, you know, saying here is this painting, look at this painting, here's this and this and this, and do you understand how this and everyone's looking at one painting and I am showing them exactly what to look at versus I am a blank white canvas. I have assembled paints and brushes for you. And for the next four minutes, you are each going to paint your own painting onto me. I am the vessel, but I'm facilitating you to have your own experience. And if I just set it up as this next song, you'll only hear it as the song. You won't then think about the, the love that you have for your dog. You won't think about the moments where you questioned what heaven was like. You won't think about it as, you know, going back to synagogue and hearing, you know, your cantor sing. It, it's, it's, it's a way of giving people the opportunity to experience their own life, their own journey through a song. That's the generous part. That's the generative part that when, when, when I step on stage and the spotlight hits me, I feel like I'm holding up a mirror so that the spotlight is reflecting off of me and showering the audience in light and shining onto parts of themselves that they either didn't know were there or they haven't interacted with in a long time versus the cabarets, which frankly, the majority of cabarets are when the spotlight hits the audience, they absorb it and they leave the audience in the dark. And then I'm sitting there thinking, why the fuck am I here? Why am I paying $90 to see a show at 54 Below with the $25 minimum? And I clearly don't need to be here and don't even get me started on the people who read their lyrics. Oh, I can't. I can't. I really. Yep. If there's anything to take away from this podcast episode, it's just memorize your lyrics for, for anything. Like well, you, don't, I, you don't need to read off of that. No. And, and he, I, I will tell you a story about this, this woman named, uh, I, I won't name her name, but I, we were seeing, I'd never met her before. It's one of the beautiful things about being an audience member in a cabaret room in the city is that you get seated next to complete and total strangers who by the yes. end of the night, best friends. So this woman, uh, we were seeing Andrea McArdle and Donna McKechnie do a duo show at 54 Below. Yes. This woman lives in New Jersey. She has a daughter who um, is, who, who has, I believe, nonverbal autism and is in her 30s. The daughter's in her 30s. For her to come to that show meant that she had to find care for her daughter, pay for that, 
drive into the city, pay for gas, the toll, parking, the premium price for a seven o'clock ticket at 54 below, the minimum, and also the emotional labor of leaving her daughter at home as her primary caretaker. Mm -hmm. Can you imagine how insulting it would have been for that woman to see either one of those two legends reading their fucking lyrics off of a music stand? How insulting, and we never know who is in the audience. So I assume that there are 10 of those people in the audience. How offensive would it be for me to disregard the work and the cost that it takes to be in that room and for me to deny the opportunity to connect with them because I'm reading my lyrics. How dare you? How dare you? And to be very clear, Andrew McArdle and Donna McKechnie were they not didn't reading their read lyrics. A single lyric. It was they didn't just read a single lyric. We're, we're just saying what if that happened? Correct. We love you, ladies. We're oh. I'm just making sure that the audience knows that they did not. No, 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 and, no. and the woman felt like she got all of her money's worth. And then some, because not a single lyric was read and the show was superb. Well, you're also short selling yourself, right? Because like, if you're reading the lyrics, that means you did not spend enough time with the song to dive an inch into the piece to have it. That means you're just like, I don't know, memorizing the melody and like, just if you don't even know the lyrics in your body, how are you going to? tell me that story it's like it's it's so much it's it's so much more than just like they're looking at the page it's right. it's it's not your story it's not your um am i terrified of forgetting lyrics yeah but I'm, i would much rather somebody forget their lyrics in front of me and so then i can bear witness to their humanity and have them go oh my god i just forgot my lyrics where the heck were we Oh my God, thank you. Of course, that's the lyric I forgot. As I was saying, that's so much more interesting than. I say this all the time. I say this all the time. Cabaret and concert is a place where the audience is paying to understand who you are. They yeah. aren't necessarily interested in polish and perfection. If you actually forgetting your lyric, weirdly enough, is giving them an extra treat because they're now under under pressure you don't have time to be perfect it's you going whoops uh and then figuring out where you are and the audience loves it now you don't need to do it 10 times no but once maybe twice is a weird enough easter egg because they want it these people that see the shows these fans they want to sit see you in 10 years and go i was at that show where you forgot that lyric and then you did this like one of my favorite things right one of my favorite things on a 54 below stage was when we used to do nightmare, the songs of nightmare before christmas mm -hmm. and in one of the shows taylor mon jones was our oogie boogie and we had it lined up perfectly where head over heels would get out and she would be able the show would start at 54 below but she would make it from head over heels to do nightmare guess who didn't make it for her song and we guess what we did lock sock and barrel sorry lock shock and barrel we got on stage we did a 10 minute nightmare before christmas sing along with the audience got everyone mm. on their feet singing along and right. 
it was literally perfect. Like it was the audience loved it. And then when she came in through the doors, everyone applauded and we started where we left off. It was right. it was a happy accident. Cabaret is filled with happy accidents. So how many yes. times have you been in a show where someone is someone mentions someone in the room and that person on stage doesn't even know that the person they're talking about is in the audience? And, you know, and then it becomes this organic, like, oh my God, I haven't seen you in 30 years or, right. oh my God, like, I didn't know you were here. It, it, it's, it's magic. Right. Well, there it's like scripted improv. <laughs> well, it's exactly right. You, you, you write the script and then you have to remember again, it is about the artist, but it is for the audience. Yes. It's great. Therefore, way to put it. if you are not able to be buoyant and malleable enough to receive what that audience that night is giving you, then it is not about you and for the audience. It is about you and for, for you. you. But but last night I said something like, um, I went to see a doctor who went to Ohio State and somebody in the back went, woo, and I was, no. So funny. But and And obviously that's not scripted. Not at all. But if I had let the moment go by, then I I'm missing out on an opportunity to let the audience know that I see them and this is for them. You're ignoring you know I mean? two, you're ignoring 250 other scene partners. Right. You're, yeah. you're denying yeah. a journey that you yourself can surprise yourself with. Right. And, you know, it's like, why are you denying yourself that? Um, I love, you know, it, cabaret on paper seems like, and this is what I talk about as multi, as multi-hyphenates, you know, multi-hyphenating on paper seems like a very self-focused experience because you're like, I'm the director and the photographer and the writer and the producer, but that's the intention of what you're creating is not self-focused. So in theory, your art is not a self-focused experience. Cabaret mm -hmm. is the same exact thing. It is about you by you but for the audience. Correct. So I took away so much that I'm going to apply to my life that I Love never that. thought about before by watching your show. Thank and you. it was about you. Right. The worst compliment that I can get, which I, I know is intended as a compliment, but I never hear it as a compliment. And I, f I feel very lucky that I, I don't hear it often. When I don't hear it, it means that I've done my job. But but the worst thing to hear after a show is you sounded so beautiful. Oh, like, yeah. I would hope that. But somebody last night came up to me, took me by the face and said, I don't feel things very often. <laughs> the world that we live in today, yeah. I sit at home, I sit in these clubs, I sit in the theater and I get concerned and I wonder when am I going to feel again? And then she started crying and she said, thank you for opening me back up again. That's so relatable. But that, and that has nothing to do with the sound of my voice. No. But, but that's, that is, and I think I, I told you this story the last time we spoke on our, our little Instagram happy hour moment. Yeah. But the woman who uh, came to my show and, you know, I, I said, you know, please come to my show. She came. And it was a show about uh, my brain surgery and kind of reclaiming my life. And she said, I wasn't supposed to be here tonight. And I said, 
thank you for coming. And she said, no, I wasn't supposed to be. I We met at breakfast coming from the hospital. Uh, I was finishing another round of chemotherapy and I was done fighting. And then to see you do your show, you've inspired me to keep fighting. And now she's in remission. Like that, we, ha- we never know who is in the audience. And we never know the impact that we're going to have on our audience. But if you're reading your lyrics, <laughs> or if, if you are beholden to the script, I promise you, you'll ignore the audience completely, in which case you have missed the entire point. I love that. You know, it's so funny because it's like, I think, you know, in my time in cabaret and concert, I've seen so many artists almost over-prepare, but over-prepare in the wrong places. What to you is a place, like, where should you over-prepare and where should you let go and go, we'll see what happens on stage? That is a fantastic question. And I don't know that I've ever been asked that before. I will tell you that for the first time I did this show in December at Birdland, I was was texting with Jen Waldman and she asked if I could do something the day before. And she was like, I know that you're probably busy prepping. So when you get a second, I was like, no, I'm good. (laughs) And she's like, you don't rehearse the day before? I'm like, no, no. (laughs) I, again, because it's for the audience, but more than that, it is for that audience that day. And so there comes a point where it's like, I've done all that I can do. I now have to be present and available for whatever this audience is here to Mm -hmm. give me. So where I think it is appropriate to prepare, make sure, obviously, as we've said, make sure your lyrics are memorized, Mm -hmm. make sure your cue lines are memorized, Mm -hmm. make sure that your script is memorized enough. Mm -hmm. Um, so that you know, if you do go on a tangent, you know how to come right back and where you've left off. Beyond that, the most important thing to know is what do, what do I have to say with this song and why am I saying it? Then the rest will happen if you know the words, if you know your cue lines, if you know your script, and then you couple that with why am I saying this? And a real exploration of that. Not, you know, it and it comes in a headshots too. I go, why, why did you choose this outfit? Why are why are you here today? Not just like a, oh, I like this dress or I like this song. Well, this song came to me because blah, 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 and it has this specific meaning. Write something around that. Oh yeah. Write something around it. Explore it. Cabaret is not, it's not just like a, I mean, it can be a light experience, which is wonderful, but it has the potential to be really soul searching for yourself and the audience. Don't, if you're given that opportunity to stand on stage, don't rob yourself of that time. I think, you know, a lot of people in the theater are like, well, shouldn't, you know, I think theater should just, we need more lighter pieces. We need, and I go, "Mm, well, theater is a reflection of who we are as a society. And as a society, we are a very heavy group right now. There's a, Uh, yeah, there's a lot of Uh us fighting for 
rights and to be centered and to be heard. And it's like, we have 41 theaters on Broadway. And I always think like there's always a place for a revival as written. There's always a place for something lighthearted. But when we are given the space to ask questions, am I Jewish or am I Jewish? Um, to ask questions, we need yeah. to take that opportunity and ask questions. Well, and and going back to what we were saying before, it it almost, if everything is lighter, I, as an audience member, would feel like the struggles that I am experiencing in life are being ignored. Like yeah. when I say a doctor in Ohio State, the person in the audience says woo, and I ignore them. You know, like, it, again, I'm not saying that all theater needs to be, you know, soul nourishing and whatever. Like, it doesn't have to be. But when we have the opportunity to do that, let's do it. And let's do it for everybody in our community. I mean, that's just if we're really going to do it, then let's let's make sure that everyone has the opportunity to see themselves reflected in the fabric of of our community and, and the art that's being done. Ain't that the truth? We're going to take a little break and we're going to continue the conversation. Great. Hey guys, it is Ryan. I'm not sure if you know this about me, but I'm a bit of a fun fanatic when I can. I like to work, but I like fun too. It's a thing. And now the truth is out there. I can tell you about my favorite place to have fun. Chumba Casino. They have hundreds of social casino style games to choose from with new games released each week. You can play for free anytime, anywhere and each day brings a new chance to collect daily bonuses. So join me in the fun. Sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. VTW. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, we've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. I loved helping cultivate cabarets and concerts and figuring out what worked and how to make people feel supported and and share their stories. That well, like one of my job, like one of the amazing aspects of my job was to sit here and go, who has left me with an impression that they have a story that yeah. I would trust them finding 11 to 12 songs and putting it together for an evening and telling that story to an audience. I loved, I loved doing that. And I hope yeah. I get to do it again in the future, but um, you know, this, this, let this episode be a great resource yeah. for the and don'ts for people that are. And I, I realized that I, still have yet to answer the first question you asked me, which is how do I build a show? Uh, I'll give you a, a quick answer. The, the two shows that I've done most in the past few years, A Place for Us, A Celebration of Jewish Broadway, and Ari's Arias. Jewish Broadway came about because I was asked to do a show about the Jewish influence on musical theater. And because of the amount of anti-Semitism that I'd experienced at my university, I was like, no one is going to pay money to see me talk about Judaism and musical theater. Because at college, when I would talk about that, people would roll their eyes, get up and leave the room. And so Eastern Michigan was like, no, we want you to do it. That's how it started. 
and it has grown from there. Ari's Arias came about because about a year ago, uh, just over a year ago, I was getting out of a very, very abusive relationship. And in the year and a half that I was in that relationship, I was still singing, it was COVID, but as a solo performer, I was lucky enough to still be able to work and do my my shows because it was me and a piano player. We were able to be socially distanced and have the audience socially distanced. But my voice, as a result of being abused for a year and a half, my voice did not feel like my voice. And so singing felt, taking up space while being the victim of abuse was antithetical it was it was painful it didn't make any sense and so once the relationship ended for good and i had a little distance and god love my therapist um i reached out to michael kirk lane at uh the west bank they were doing you know nights of um you know people coming in and doing doing uh, music along with dinner at the at the restaurant it's like two 45 minute sets of you know standards and i thought well i'm gonna do an evening of songs that are standards songs that i think should be standards and songs that will one day become standards and i'm gonna treat it like a cabaret and michael was like just so you know like people will be eating dinner and they are allowed to talk like you it's not like your background music but you're not headlining the lurie beachman theater mm -hmm. i was like I'm going to do a cabaret and if people want to pay attention, they can pay attention. <laughs> so, <Their word. laughs> so it was two 45 minute sets of songs that I love and that I had missed singing with a voice that felt authentically mine. And a reviewer came and said that Ari Axelrod needs to take these two 45 minute sets, put them into a 60 to 75 minute show one set call it ari's arias and do it at birdland and i thought i think i'm i'm uh okay sure Ch challenge accepted and that's how it came about this show didn't have a director it was larry and me jeff harner came on as a creative consultant he came to a, a couple rehearsals right before we did it the first time in december just kind of offered some feedback and whatever but it it, it became what do these songs mean to me? Why do I love these songs? Why do I have to sing these songs? And then the beginning of the show, I say, this is my definition of what an aria is. So everything that you see tonight, see through that lens. Here we go. I have a question. Yeah. If you were doing two sets of songs, that was like not a performance. It was not a cabaret and you were back, like sort of like, like background music, as they were saying. Yeah. Why was your reviewer there? I don't know. That's, I don't know. That doesn't think, set you up for any sort of success. I That's think, like so wild. Well, I, I think that I had invited them. And also, it was the first time that I was singing in New York City since oh, before sure. COVID. Yeah. And like, it was terrifying because... It was my first time in front of an audience in New York and also my first time doing a solo show in the city since, you know, before I'd been in this relationship. And so it felt important to me to be seen. It felt important to me mm -hmm. to 
do what I did. And I was marketing it as a cabaret and I invited this person and I wanted them to be there. And it, it was not on them that they were there at this, you know, I, I, I believe I invited them and I think I kind of made it a point to, I was marketing it more as a cabaret than as background music. And I think that's why Michael was like, just so you know, it's not a cabaret. That's funny. But also like, <laughs> good on you for being like, yeah, okay, honey. So uh, I need what you, I'm going to do this is what I'm going to do. And I need you to review the show. So it's, that's so funny. I love that. Hey, you got to do what you got to do. Mm-hmm. Well, and I will say no one talked. There are people that came to watch me and there were people that were there just to eat. And I was like, I know the power that this art form can have. I'm curious to see what happens if we treat this like it would treat, you know, the show I did last night. Human connection is human connection, regardless of who you are or where you are or what you're doing. And I think at that time in particular, people craved it. And that, that evening afforded people the opportunity to have connection through song. And so no one talked, even the people that were there for dinner, which was beautiful. It's amazing. So what to you is a multi-hyphenate and how do you feel that has infiltrated your work as a performer, as a, as a cabaret creator and performer and writer and all those things? Talk to me about that. That is a really good question. I, I will speak from the perspective of my identity as a multi-hyphenate. Mm, please. Because whenever, I know I'm a multi-hyphenate because whenever I'm introduced to somebody and they say, this is Ari Axelrod, he is a wonderful blank. And it's one thing, I feel like, no, I also, this, it's like, he's a wonderful cabaret singer. And I'm like, first of all, what's cabaret? A, B, I also act and I play the drums and I direct and I teach and I'm a storyteller. And so I think for anyone who's like, well, can I claim the title of multi-hyphenate? That's the gauge that I use. That's when I was like, oh, look at Michael giving us this language for this thing that I feel. It's like, when you introduce somebody, when you are introduced as one facet of who you are as an artist and you're you're like yes and that's how you know yeah that's how i know multi mul the multi is like an anti-label label you know what i mean yes. it's like uh, it, gives, it gives you the freedom to sort of be like i'm this i'm that i'm a multi-hyphenate but then you sort of have to like do the identity work and be like okay well what makes me a multi-hyphenate because you have to still be as freeing as it is you still have to be specific so that you don't confuse yourself because Correct. you know what i mean like you still have to like have very organized practices when it comes to your art the thing that makes it harder is that multi-hyphenates have and i say this all the time failure is really scary as a multi-hyphenate it's necessary but it's really scary as a multi-hyphenate because if you have five hyphens you're failing five times right you know so right. you really sort of have to you have you have to uh cut the fat in terms of how you identify and um, I think, you know, luckily the conversation of the multi-hyphenate is sort of growing, but I had a conversation the other day with someone that was basically like, when are you going to pick one thing? And I was like, well, do you want to buy my book and read about it? 
you know, it's like <laughs> I bet that shut them up. Fuck real you. Quick. <laughs> I think so. It's so funny. It's like, oh. and then and then I also deal with the people that think they discovered like the multi hyphenate language, and I'm literally, you know, it's like right. I had one. <laughs> Uh, I had it's just understanding like being a multi-hyphenate is also understanding like the perspective that you have and the responsibility you have like I had one person that (laughs) came to me as like a client from years ago that literally was like hey just letting you know (laughs) just letting you know um I'm starting a podcast about being a multi-hyphenate and I just wanted to let you know out of courtesy. And I was like, oh, that's it's not courtesy. That's it's funny. Courtesy. I, I literally said, you know, it's like, you know, I've really built this whole brand off of it. And I don't know. I, I prefer if maybe maybe looked at a different topic or something, maybe something that's more for you. Well, I'm not looking for your permission. I'm just telling you. And I was like, Okay, and well, that's how you know that it's not courteous. Exactly. And then it, and then I said, and then I literally, and then she started like asking me questions about it. And I was like, you know, this is seemingly very, it seems very similar. And, you know, I do have this copyright, uh, copyrighted. So um, I'm going to have my lawyer contact you and we'll talk about it. And then immediately she was like, oh, actually, like, um, I just talked to my team and we're going to do a whole other idea. And I was like, don't bullshit a bullshitter, honey. Like, <laughs> don't. If you are a true multi-hyphenate, you will find your own story and your Correct. own perspective. Look, mm-hmm. barely anything is original in this industry. The word multi-hyphenate came around in the 1970s, probably alluding to Mel Brooks and Woody Allen and people like that. But we are allowed to take something that exists and put our own spin on it and put our own story, AKA cabaret and concert. You know, yep. my take on the multi unit is this, and I'm taking it and running with it and creating a podcast and writing a book and doing all these things. But when you come to someone and you go, I love what you're doing. I'm going to do it too. Also, can you tell me more about how you're doing it? That does not make you an artist with integrity. It does Mm-mm. not make you a socially responsible artist. Mm-mm. It doesn't even make you an artist. Like, well, and I think the thing about being a multi-hyphenate is that it is fucking hard out there. Yeah, for us, and it, it is like, why would anyone seek to make it more difficult? for other multi-hyphenates. It's like, you know, the definition of cabaret is the art of being yourself on purpose. Right. But in this situation, it's like, it's the art of being yourself on yeah. purpose. Be right. you. Be you and and figure out the ways in which the whole idea of the multi-hyphenate is to figure out how each hyphen affects the other. Right. You know, like the hyphen shouldn't exist separately. Right. Well, and I, I, it reminds me of Simon Sinek's golden circle framework. People don't buy what you do. They buy why you do it. And yeah. So my, uh, that, that often comes to mind when thinking about multi-hyphenate. It's, it's like, for me, teacher, director, show doctor, creative consultant, cabaret singer, actor, you know, all of these things, that is what I do. 
But the thing that connects all of those things together is, is why? why, why am I doing this? Exactly. Why am I telling the story this way? Why am I teaching this class? Why am I directing this? Why am I working on this show instead of that show as a consultant? And, and if, if you're, if it's just, well, I've always wanted to do this, so I'm going to do it. It's like, but that doesn't necessarily make you multi-hyphenate. That makes you curious and interested. But to, to take it on as an identity means that you have purpose behind it, which goes back to when you first build a show. Let's say I want to do a show about Stephen Sondheim. If that's the end, it's like, well, you and everybody else, right? But if you say, I want to do a Stephen, I want to, I want to do a show about Stephen Sondheim to breathe new life into his music so that his legacy lives on yes. for future generations through my eyes. Oh my God. Then you sing another hundred people. Everybody says, don't uh, Joanna through that purpose driven lens. Everyone will hear Sondheim through the purpose that, that, that you've set out to do it. It's not enough to just be like, well, I want to. I'm a photographer because I want to be a photographer. No, I'm a photographer because here's the purpose behind why I take photos. And then once you've identified that, then you can take it on as a part of your identity and not before then. This is probably very controversial, but I think that mindset is like a very straight man mindset to just be like, I'm a photographer because I'm a photographer. Like, you know, it's just very like, it's just very straight. It's very like straight man, straight white oh, man. It's right. and and you don't have to work for anything. The patriarchal <laughs> society we live in just gives it to you because you say that it's yours. Fuck. It, <laughs> exactly. So exactly. I through photography, I like I have a very specific why as to why I've chosen the medium of headshot portraits and backstage work as a queer artist, you know, and like the, and the people that I center when I, when I choose who I want to photograph backstage. If you notice when I photograph backstage, it's not, sometimes I get the, this, the main star. Great. But right. usually I don't photograph them. Usually I choose like the person that's like serving a very specific per like purpose in the show. I want to center that story. Right. And I think it's, you know, I've said this many and many other episodes, but I think being a multi-hyphenate is made primarily, multi-hyphenates are made primarily of queer people, people of color and women, because our stories are often centered and we have to work and be our own bosses and producers and directors and writers and creators because our stories are not out there. So we have to create them and work tenfold to convince others to give us the space to do them. Well, if you go back to, I know that Oh, this might be really controversial, but I'm going to go there because say it. I know people say that, you know, Broadway was founded by or created by a bunch of old white men. And yes, they were white, but also they were Jewish. They were, they were Jewish. And many of them left like Irving Berlin, who wrote, you know, uh, white Christmas and Easter parade and God bless America. He left Russia when he was a kid because his village was being burned to the ground by the Cossacks during a pogrom. And he came to the United States and he 
did not have a place to belong. His father was a cantor, and so he was around music, and he started writing these songs, and these songs became what are now considered the most American tunes. Leonard Bernstein, Kurt Weill left Germany in, the, in 1933 when Hitler was elected. I mean, yes, they're white, yes, they're men, but Broadway is a result of people who did not see themselves reflected in the mainstream American society in that time. So rather than saying, let's, let's, you know, they, they created a place where their stories could be told. And it's only fitting that the stories are continuing to be told by people who do not see themselves reflected by mainstream media. That is, that is the beginnings of Broadway and that's how it should continue to evolve. But I think it is um, irresponsible and uh, potentially revisionist to say that it was founded by a bunch of old white men. It denies the the prejudicial anti-Semitic experience that a lot of these composers had. So let me just pick up the mic that I just dropped. I'm so sorry. Yeah, 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 yeah. Put it back. Make sure that there's no no uh, no, no no dent in it. <laughs> I because uh, that, that that mic drop was very hard and very. Um, <laughs> I I completely agree with you, Ari. I think like I think our industry needs a lot of change. I think there's there's a lot of work to do, as I have spoken about in many other episodes. But something that is very personal is the way that Jews are treated in this industry. Something that mm -hmm. I, I, you know, it's it's a very it's so um, I feel gaslit into believing that my existence isn't isn't I don't want to say enough, but like my I'm I'm. I'm Jewish and that's, you're fine. You're Jewish. And I'm scared to be, I'm, I'm scared as a human right now to be gay and Jewish. And like, I feel that I'm allowed to want clear representation in the storytelling that I see on stage and, and not see Jew face and not see. Well, uh, how, how many, how many times, how many times do you see someone when they, when there's a character, on the paper and it's like they're um annoying and pushy and the first voice that they choose is a voice like this right i think anti-semitism is just deep within many of us even in jewish people uh yes and i have a theory i think tell me that one of the what if i was like you know what no <laughs> I won't. I won't. <laughs> Lady, Bye. Of course. Thank you so much, Michael. Bye. <laughs> no, I, I think that one of the reasons, like, okay, we're still here. We shouldn't be. Like, yeah. I, we are here against all odds. And it is no denying that one of the reasons that we have been able, we as Jews, have been able to survive and thrive in most societies throughout history and we're still here is because we have the adaptability to assimilate. However, with assimilation comes annihilation, mm -hmm. some sort of annihilation of that thing that makes you different. Mm -hmm. And if the thing that you are moving away from, the thing that makes you different is your Jewish identity. I mean, I, I, I don't know if this is true, but my one of my, questions is is 
Jewish humor a way to make fun of ourselves before anybody else can, right? It's a way of coping. It's a way of, you know, whatever. But I think throughout generations of assimilation and assimilation being passed down, we've taken that on the, I need to assimilate to have success. I need to assimilate to be able to make money, to be able to establish myself now is translated into that makes me weird. Being Jewish makes me weird. So I'm going to apologize for it and deny it completely. But like the Nazis didn't give a shit if you believed in God or not. They didn't care. The The chief rabbi of Israel and Stephen Sondheim would have been in Auschwitz together. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. Bernie Sanders and and uh, Rabbi Angela Buckdahl would be in Auschwitz together if we were if if world war ii was happening right now it didn't matter it didn't matter our blood was dirty correct right so and that and that is something that i'm always brought back to in terms of today it's like because the 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 minute something happens jews are jews are the first to go (laughs) we were blamed for coronavirus i mean it's the only form of prejudice that is coupled with conspiracy theories yes the one. and yeah. and and anti-semitism looks different on the left than on the right it looks different here everywhere and i think the thing that people don't understand i think that the main problem specifically within our industry is that there is a lack of education in terms of what a jew looks like what a jew is and jewish history so i know somebody who is Jewish and Asian, and she walks into a room and the people behind the table, their definition of representation is casting her in Asian roles. Mm -hmm. And this person said, just once, I'd like to be brought into a room, Jewish role. But people don't think that there are Asian Jews. People are flabbergasted at the notion that there are Jews who live outside of New York City who don't know what Zabar's is and don't sound like they're from Long Island. They might not even speak English. They might speak Portuguese or Korean, but they're Jewish. They're Jews every corner of the world. And it's, I also think that at the core of And Judaism, every corner of the home in Tashin. All three. <laughs> I also at the core of Judaism is the retelling of our story and the cyclical retelling of our story. And so the Holocaust is one bullet point on thousands of years of genocides and government edicts and expulsions and whatever, whatever. So we as Jews have, we, we know when the writing is on the wall because we've heard it, but for non-Jews, they don't know our history and the world has short, term memories call me betty buckley because i have read the writing on the wall (laughs) but what bothers me is not jewish when 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 you or when i or mentalia saskauer says something like it is scary believe us i'm often met with people saying but it's not that bad just because you don't see it doesn't mean it's not happening. If we if we say that we're feeling scared, people should listen to us and say that and and understand that we feel scared and that, you know, it's it's not a very hard concept to grasp. It's just right. 
you know, but, but when you're saying about like the cyclical nature of like Jewish storytelling, it's like, that's why I think like multi-hyphenating is like innately Jewish and queer and, and belongs to people of color as well, because we are constantly trying to be like, Hey, this really dramatic thing happened. How can we heal? How can we tell the story? How can we make those generations ahead of us aware we are then we then create that narrative we create that story we tell that story we write it we direct it we produce it so i'm multi-hyphenating as i think it it prime it belongs to everyone but yeah it it is primarily a queer jewish person of color identity and it's um every as i do more work as i you know, write my book as I talk to more people. I, I'm always, I'm always uh, feeling more concrete in that statement. Well, it, it reminds me of um, what you said before of like straight, cis, white men. They have the keys to the door. Yeah. They have the keys to the front door. They don't, that, that's how they get in. People who, come from marginalized communities and whatever marginalization that is, they have to find other ways into the building. And sometimes it means having multiple ways in because the front door is locked for them. So we have to climb through the window or go through the chimney or build another fucking building. I know. But I I, I think that exactly what you're saying that is that is what multi-hyphenate being a multi-hyphenate is it's telling our stories in all of the ways flexing all of our artistic muscles and integrity to be able to reflect the full capacity of our world it's like what lisa crone said during her acceptance speech for fun home she was like we've been i'm paraphrasing but the sentiment was we've been living in this beautiful home and we've been spending all of our time in the dining room and someone just turned the lights on guys our house is huge let's not all go back to the dining room let's not go back to the dining room baby ari axelrod i love you so much michael kushner i love you more um really you had me questioning if i was in love with you last night so that means i think you did a really good job at at doing a show (laughs) um that's 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 the telltale sign of if you've done a good show if michael kushner questions whether he's in love with you yeah and did you see on facebook i put i didn't look at my popcorn shrimp once (laughs) and someone was like that's that's the that's how you sell the show (laughs) and then phil skokos our you know friend from french was like i can't believe you've never met each other i'm like what multiple times good friends we're good friends it's fine where can we find you on social media um uh, on instagram it's just my first and last name ari axelrod yes um my website is ariaxelrod.com i have a tiktok because i like consuming the like speaking of multi-hyphenates i have i don't know of another platform where there is so much fucking talent and it also is so overwhelming. So I don't create on TikTok, but I I'm a a, a, a viewer of TikTok. I have I have but, re- real hot takes on TikTok. I yeah. love it and I hate it. Oh, it's it's exhausting, but I'm in awe. 
Yeah, but I am in awe too. Don't find me there. You might see me comment on your video, but like, don't follow me there. Um, but yeah, my website, Instagram, and that's, that's it. Sounds good, my friend. You're the best. I love you. Thank you all for listening. Thank you to the Broadway Podcast Network. And as always, please follow me at Dear Multi-Hyphenate on Instagram or at the Michael Kushner on Instagram, as well as TikTok. Please like, subscribe, comment, do all that good stuff. It really helps. Bye. Hey, it's Leslie Odom Jr. here on the Broadway Podcast Network to tell you about the RISE Theater Directory, a program of maestro music. RISE is a national online resource designed to connect and empower backstage and administrative and creative theater professionals from underrepresented backgrounds. If you work or aspire to work in the theater community, this can help you find your next project. And if you hire theater professionals, search the Rise Theater directory to find your next team. Create your profile now and get more information by visiting risetheater.org. That's theater with an R-E-R-I-S-E-T-H-E-A-T-R-E.org because only together we rise. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over at the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.